Hey, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. And hello to all of you. And welcome to Not Another Business Podcast, where Danny and I are going to break down business news and cultural events according to rules that we have entirely made up. I'm KJ Miller, ex-corporate consultant and current CEO of and co-founder of Minted Cosmetics. And I'm Daniela Dektar McCarthy. I am an ex-corporate lawyer and current general counsel of Ness. And KJ and I have actually been friends since our Harvard acapella days. Yes, I said acapella. Yes, we are that cool. Um, <laughs> the lawyer and me, before we jump in, has to say that we're here representing our personal views, not those of our companies. Um, yes, but I'm really excited for today. Today, we're going to be talking about The Wing and its very abrupt closure last week. Mm-hmm. And there's so much to talk about because I just, the wind was like a big flash of light when it came out and articles were everywhere. The CEO was on the cover of Inc., you know, pregnant. I just like all, all mm-hmm. of this happened in a very short period of time. And then in a very short period of time, it's done, closed. Like, Right. So there's a lot. Right. With, with lot 12 too. hours notice. Yeah. With 12 hours notice, people had meetings booked, conference rooms booked, and they were like, sorry, girl. <laughs> yeah. I'm particularly go. excited to hear your views on this as CEO of a startup, as a person of color, and we'll get into it, but a lot of the drama around the wing um, mm-hmm. revolved mm-hmm. around their treatment of people of color. And you know, I think we've talked a lot about in our French about membership-based businesses, businesses that empower women. And so I think this is just a topic that um, I'm particularly excited to hear, to get into with you and to hear your views on. Yeah, same, same. So a lot to talk about and we will get into it more after our shameless plug. All right, so just for everyone at home, so you know, Danny and I do not have the time, nor do we have the desire to be out here chasing down advertisers. So we thought we would just take a quick 30 second interlude to plug our own project. So Danny, what are you working on? I am going to be plugging Ness's newsletter. It's called the Nessie Sightings. Um, And it is a newsletter delivered to your inbox twice a week with the latest product finds and news in health and wellness. Um, It's completely free, and you can sign up for it at thenessie.com. Love that. I I am actually, I have read the Nessie, and that is where I found out about Little Spoon, which is, Mm. you know, baby food. And Kayla, my daughter, still eats it. So highly recommend um, Nessie Sightings. So I, of course... I am always going to be plugging Minted Cosmetics, which is yeah. my company. Minted is short for pigmented. It is everyday beauty for every hue and uh, specifically celebrating women of color. Uh, so you can get a 20% off discount if you use the code NABP at mintedcosmetics.com. You can also shop us at Ulta and Target. I Listeners can't see this, but I'm currently wearing Minted Mascara. And oh, I love it. Love it. So am I. <laughs> So, <laughs> awesome. All right. And now back to the show. Okay. So to kick off, we are going to be starting each of our main topics with the facts. And that is what we know to be true about the topic. Then after that, we'll move into the speculation. Okay. And we have plenty of speculation, but let's start with the facts. What is the wing? What was the wing? So 
in its simplest explanation, the wing was a women's focused co-working space, right? But I think what gets to maybe the heart of its downfall is what the wing aspired to be, right? Um, I think it was a self-described utopia for women on their way, right? Okay, not um, utopia. No, yeah, not utopia. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I guess question whether it was for women on their way or women who were born into whatever the, the dream is, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it was more than a co-working space, at least it pitched itself to be, right? Yes, I, I think that's right. And I did go to a fair number of events at the wing um, back when mm. I still lived in New York. And, you know, it was to me a co-working space. Yes. But also kind of like this posh gathering space mm. for women focused events. So, you know, I, you know, they had, they had like Kerry Washington come speak. They had Jennifer Lawrence mm. come speak. They mm-hmm. had Hillary Clinton come speak. They had, you know, they were always having these super high profile women and the super high profile events. And, you know, I, I made my way to a few. I gave, I was sat on a panel or two at the wing, you know, so it was Ooh. co-working mm-hmm. plus is what I would right, say. Like, right. It was meant to be, uh, I don't know about utopia, but cer- <laughs> certainly <laughs> a gathering space and kind of like space to ourselves for women and women identifying, which they were, you know, clear to point out. And there so was like a, was. there was a big emphasis on, even just the look and feel of it, right? Like, I think, as as far as I remember, there were, like, architectural digest features on, you know, the furniture, the paint mm-hmm. color, all of that, mm-hmm. right? So there was there was definitely an aesthetic that they were going for. And, um, you know, I mean, which is actually very common of all these millennial co-working spaces, right? They're, they're yeah. trying to get you to feel productive because the space is just so pretty. It's so beautiful that you just, you want to sit there all day and do whatever it is that you need to do. You want to host your meetings there. Yeah. And I mean, it was cute. Um, It was cute. And uh, now, Mm -hmm. okay, that sounds pejorative. The first one, (laughs) the first one that they opened, I think in Flatiron was, I mean, I'm gonna just be honest and this is not shade. It was much more hype than what it delivered on when you walked in. And that makes sense because, you know, it was their first space. It was very small. It was like the size of this bedroom I'm sitting in. And, you know, it was cute. It was pink, but it was very small and like, I don't know. Oh, I I didn't realize that it was that, that it was like a room, the size of a room. Like it honestly was a room. (laughs) Wow. um, But, you know, that makes sense. Typically the first iteration of whatever your product is, isn't going to be, the best and the biggest, you know, and the brightest. So but I just remember the hype was already there. So it already was being described as this amazing, aesthetically, like just gorgeous. And, I, you know, Amanda and I, my co-founder walked in and we were like this. So anyway, that's, that's, that was our first impression. But as they grew, the spaces did get much more grand, much mm-hmm. more luxe. And they really started to deliver on that promise of, you know, a gorgeous upscale, look and feel. So, all right. So that's what the wing is. We get that. Mm -hmm. How let's talk about like the money, how much money they raised, who invested in them. Like, let's talk about some of those facts. Yeah. So they, they raised a pretty penny, I would say, right. By, by the end, they had at least raised well over a hundred million. I think the number I saw was 167 million. Um, Mm -hmm. And from really like the who's who. So first of all, 
from in terms of VCs, they raised from Sequoia, which is like the ultimate, right? In yeah. NEA. So like these yeah. are not new funds. Um, right. <laughs> right. These are like experienced investors. Yeah. And then yeah. they had they had just like, you know, they had amazing guests. They had investors that were of a similar similar caliber, right? So um, I mean, now the dis- disgraced or maybe not disgraced based on his recent venture, Adam Newman from from WeWork, mm-hmm. right? Um, they had the CEO of Bumble, right? Valerie Jarrett, a senior advisor to Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, Megan Rapinoe, the soccer player. Mindy Kaling, right? So, I mean, they raised from some big names. Yeah. Um, they were all kind of bought in. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, Sequoia and NEA, they are like the who's who of venture right. capitalists. Like if right. you get those guys on your cap table, it's pretty much a done deal that you're going to get any other investor you right. want because they're known to be sort of these rainmakers, these tastemakers. Like if, when they say a company's got it, then other people follow suit. So right. it, it really was impressive who they were able to get to buy in to this idea, particularly given that we work you know, was already starting to take over Manhattan when they launched. So the wing launched in 2016. By that point, the wing was already like deep, deep in Manhattan and making deals all over the city. Um, So they had, you know, fairly stiff competition, but the idea was new. The idea of women focused, women's only actually co-working space didn't really exist. Um, And so a lot of people did buy in to the idea and they were able to raise a ton of money. <laughs> um, right. And we, so, we didn't really talk about it, but you did just mention the time that it was born in, right? So like 2016, I think that year will be scarred in many of our minds and memories ooh. as the start of the Trump era. So that was a big piece of it too, What right? Was like creating a space for women to come together at a time when women were feeling I don't know, vulnerable, right? Uh, yeah. Or just maybe even like under siege or just feeling like we needed spaces that would be safe. Right. So that was a big part of the allure. Yeah. A hundred percent. And all of the articles that have been written about the wings, you know, downfall um, mention this idea that part Mm -hmm. of what made it so successful was the era it was born Mm -hmm. in where women were feeling dejected and, and obviously not all women, but certainly a lot of women and certainly a lot of New York women were feeling dejected and feeling like, you know, we did want to claim more, claim more investor dollars, claim more space, claim, you know, take what we felt like was taken from us in that in that time. So I think it is worth noting that it, you know, it, it was of its time. It was a very timely launch. Um, so, okay. So now we know what it is or what it was. We know they, they had a lot of money born in the Trump era. So it all looks glossy and rosy. And then what happens? What started the process of the wings, you know, downfall? Yeah. So, um, there were a few scandals to say the least, right? So, and this is pre COVID, right? So their problems are starting, yeah. Before COVID. Yeah. Um, and a ton comes out about the disconnect between their mission of inclusion and empowerment and how they're treating employees, particularly women of 
color um, who are their employees. And then also like guest experiences that were quite atrocious. So I don't know if you want to get into any of the, some of the particular details or instances. Yes, we should, you know, because, you know, this is the fact. I will do my best not to speculate and just state the facts (laughs) as they are. But yeah, so what we know is um, they had an employee strike at one point Mm -hmm. because employees, and and I I think this was pre-COVID, but it's possible I'm mixing up my timeline, um, but because employees really were unhappy with how they were being treated and a lot of them cited Audrey Gelman specifically, mm. um, who, of course, was the CEO at the time. And, and then others just cited other managers throughout the you know 11 or 12 locations that they had live at, the, at that time. Um, but I think one of the things that I was struck by and that I was able to relate to um, was an account by one of their members, a Black woman, who had p- pulled into a parking lot of I think the space, one of their, I think their location in LA mm-hmm. and uh, a white guest, so not a member, mm-hmm. uh, basically got out of her car and cursed this woman out because she felt like it was her spot and she was like entitled to the spot. Mind you, not a member, okay? <laughs> just Just a woman in a parking lot who felt like the parking space should be hers. Now look, people do crazy things all over the place. So the wing cannot control crazy people out here doing crazy things. What they can control is how they react. And according to both the black woman who was the member and the wings own admission, they did not handle this incident well at Mm -hmm. all. What did they do? So the woman, and I I should know her name, the the black woman, but I am blanking on it. The woman went to the staff because, because the other woman, the white woman continued sort of berating her as they got inside and like flipped her off and, you know, just was making her really uncomfortable in a space she was paying to be in and paying, mind you, we didn't talk about a pretty penny wing, right. wing memberships were not cheap. So, right. um, continued to berate her and flip her off. And so she went to the staff and said, look, this is, this is now feeling unsafe and uncomfortable for me. I would like, you know, this, this person to leave. And the staff basically threw up their hands and said, there's nothing we can do about it. It's a sticky situation. And, you know, we, we're not really entitled to kick her out when yes, you are. It's private property. This is a dues paying member. This person is just here. (laughs) Okay. Right. And she's being completely rude and inappropriate. You do have the ability and the right to ask her to leave the premises. Right. And they, they didn't do that. And so, you know, the black woman ended up canceling her membership and, you know, going to the press with this information. And I think a lot of other people then started to speak up and say, I've had similar experiences where I was made to feel really uncomfortable in this Mm -hmm. space that I'm paying a lot of money to be in. Mm -hmm. So that, that the reason that particular instance really spoke out to me is because as a black woman, I can think of a lot of instances where I walk into a primarily white space and am made to feel uncomfortable. Right. And, and and a lot of women wrote in, like on Twitter, on social, on right. Instagram posts saying, yes, I can relate. This has happened to me at the wing as well. Right. And so then the wing faces a pretty big reckoning also because maybe I got the timing wrong earlier, but um, a lot of, a lot of uh, these stories that I'm coming to light end up coinciding with um, all of the kind of national conversation around racial injustice that occurred in the wake of 
George Floyd's murder. Yes. So now we are pretty firmly in the world of COVID right. and the pandemic because we're in 2020. And right. yeah, they, they had this gut punch of mm-hmm. a lot of this terrible news coming to light. Well, first of all, they had the gut punch of COVID, right? Which, mm-hmm. you know, they had to close all of their locations right. and suspend um, membership fees, right? Because you can't be collecting mm-hmm. money from people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. telling them they can't come. Right. So they have essentially no revenue coming in. No, no one in their beautiful spaces that they're spending, you know, Manhattan rent right. on. And then right. plus they've got they've got spaces in other cities as well. And then they've got all these stories coming to light at a time when the entire country is grappling with the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. with George mm-hmm. Floyd, with Breonna Taylor. Everyone is standing up and saying, we have to do more. This isn't right. We're not going to take this. And then all of these stories continue coming to light mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. how they are mistreating um, their employees of color and their members of color. And so, right. yeah, it really was like a, a one, two, three gut punch um, right. for right. the wing. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, in some ways, I don't think they ever truly recovered from 2020. Um, and I think a lot of that is sort of what gets us to this moment. I should say, right. um, Audrey Gelman ends up stepping down basically mm-hmm. in the thick of this, everything going on in 2020, the complaints from the employees, you know, COVID shuttering their doors. The CEO steps down um, and she then is sort of replaced by her CMO who only mm-hmm. lasts in the role for five months. So along with all of the other shakeups we spoke about, you also have just really unsteady leadership right. at the top. So it's just, there's a lot going on. Right. So, so then what happens? So now this, the CMO steps down and what's kind of the last phase in their history before their mm-hmm. closure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The final stage is, you know, they get um, acquired, not fully, but IWG, which is a co-working space yeah. in New York, uh, acquires a majority stake in the wing. And that's in 2021. So that's last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that looks like, you know, I'm sure to both the wing and the wings investors, that looks like, okay, this might be how we start to reap, you know, right. some of get this some investment back, get yeah. some stability. Yep. Yep. It looks like a little bit of light at the tunnel. Um, but as we know now, it wasn't. And IWG is, you know, who made the decision that they were going to just close down the wing because it wasn't profitable. And from, well, this would be speculation, but I did hear word on the street was they were bankrupt long before, <laughs> mm-hmm. long before this announcement came out. But that's speculation. Mm-hmm. So back to the facts. IWG and the wing announced all of the locations would be closing. And like we alluded to at the top, they gave their members essentially no notice. They sent an email, I think, you know, on a Tuesday night at like seven o'clock that all wing locations were closed effective immediately. So if you had a conference room booked, if you had an event that was supposed to be happening the next day, you know, the next week didn't matter. Uh, Right. It was, it was so. And the CEO of IWG is saying that, look, members of the wing and and 
folks who ostensibly were supposed to be going to their six locations that are open at this time really actually needed places that were closer to where they were living, um, which I guess theoretically was not where these like six downtown Manhattan locations are. Um, So they're saying folks are in the burbs. They need spaces closer to the burbs. Now, maybe this is speculation. I don't, I don't, sure, it makes sense. People maybe want to be closer to where they're living, but um, do they really need spaces out in the burbs? I mean, there's the rental market in New York is hot right now. People are in Mm -hmm. New York city. People are living in New York city. I think those locations probably could have been close to where they're living. Um, yeah. But it, but that's, you know, that's what the CEO is is now saying. And so, you know, members of the wing are now able to go to other IWG locations, co-working spaces that are closer to them. Yes. And also a fact, the IWG locations <laughs> do not look nearly as nice as the wing locations. Right. Now, I, now, I can say that factually because mm-hmm. I looked into... Have you been? Okay. I have not personally been, but I did their virtual tour mm. of a couple different locations when I was um, looking into co-working and meeting options in New York. And, oh, honey, it looked bland, 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 mm. bland right. corporate office where the wing was giving you visuals. It was giving right. you color right. coordination. Inspiration. It was, it yeah, was giving yeah, you inspiration. Yeah. Um, IWG is not, that's not what they're about. So mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. going to feel like a little bit of a downgrade, I think, for mm-hmm. a lot of these members who have to opt to host their little meetings or whatever at IWG. So, and I, okay. and I personally think that's fact, not speculation. So, okay, um, okay. <laughs> but so on to the, the good. On to the good. Now. Yes, yes, yes. Right. It's time. Okay, okay. So what are what are some of the opinions that are out there? I know, I know you're all over kind of the TikTok accounts of people talking mm-hmm. about, you know, what they heard, what they experienced, what they're thinking. So what, what are some of the, you know, like employee opinions or opinions you've seen out there in the, in the internet? Yeah. I mean, I think the main sentiment that I'm seeing from employees is that they were just as blindsided as mm-hmm. members. They were given no notice it mm-hmm. doesn't sound like they were really given much of a severance either. Although, I mean, that's speculation and that's the section we're in. Maybe mm-hmm. some did, maybe some didn't, mm-hmm. but certainly no notice. So right. this was extremely abrupt, not just for members, but also for employees. And um, they haven't and filed for bankruptcy actually yet, right? No, I haven't seen any have reports not. of that. Okay. I haven't seen that either. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where, you know, legally things stand, mm-hmm. but I do know, like, functionally, culturally, their employees felt left in the cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of the second time because a lot of employees felt that way in 2020 when they shut down mm-hmm. and laid off. I think they had 500 staff and went from 500 mm-hmm. to, like, 80. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, to lay yeah. off 80% of your employees and sort of just, like, with an email, mm-hmm. <laughs> Um and to be back in that place, I think, for a lot of employees was a gut punch. And yeah, the sentiment I'm reading is that people just feel very blindsided by right. this. So, and they're know, not saying which, it's COVID related, right? It's And it's a point at which like, you know, just from my own experience, people are going back to co-working spaces, right? People yeah. in New York are now feeling more comfortable. So this is coming at a time probably when some employees were thinking, okay, like, we're going to we're going to make it out of the woods, you know, a hundred percent. Like events are back in person. I'm going to yeah. a big event, um, in a couple weeks in New York and 
I've been invited to a number of big events in cities all over the country in person. So mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. are back. And so mm-hmm. even though their statements sort of reference like, you know, coming out of COVID and, and now, you know, with the changed landscape, I, it's hard to buy because I'm like, well, I'm getting the invites. So people are hosting these events somewhere. And it sounds like the somewhere just isn't the wing. And actually, that's another thing that I did read in the Twitter sphere was a lot of members were saying, you know, when they went to rejoin, they were dissatisfied because they weren't seeing the same caliber of events Mm -hmm. as Mm pre-pandemic. And that was, to them, what justified a lot of the cost because, you know, you can co-work anywhere. You could go to your homegirl's apartment and co-work, but if you're going to be in a space and spend $300 a month or whatever it is, you want there to be additional benefits. And at the wing, one of those benefits was the caliber of events that they used to hold. And and I'm hearing that a lot of people felt like post-pandemic that they never got back up to the level where they were. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to figure out because the wing is expensive. Was it was it ex- so expensive in comparison to like a WeWork? I think it. Well, now, when it first started, I think the answer mm-hmm. is yes. I okay. do think as it got a bit more scale, it started to become a bit more comparable. Okay, with WeWork, um, mm-hmm. I remember one of the things that I personally didn't love was that it was either just as expensive or more expensive than we work. But at the time you could get free beer. We were right. So no, that's why that's, I saw the same there thing. There was yeah, no yeah, yeah. such free right, beer right, right. at the wing. And right. I was like, now hold on. And I, I actually know. think I had read that there was a rule that you couldn't bring outside food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there, but there weren't like free nature Valley bars at, at the no. wing, right? You had, to, you couldn't bring food and instead you had to, you had to purchase food. Right. So, yes. um, so yeah. even if maybe the costs were comparable, I think on a daily basis, you probably ended up spending more at the wing. Yeah, right. hundred percent. And, you know, right. minted, we, we, uh, we were at, we in Harlem for, I think a period of eight months before we got our, our own office. Mm-hmm. And not only was there free beer, which we definitely made use of, Right. <laughs> but I would say like once a week they were hosting some kind of free lunch and mm. and like some kind of free breakfast. Now look, we work imploded and the financials didn't right, make obviously. Sense, so. <laughs> so I'm not saying right, that right, the right. business model made sense. I'm just saying at the time when we had a decision to make about where to co-work, yeah. we work made way more sense in terms of like the perks that you that, that came right. along with it. Um, But yeah, I think for a lot of women who signed up for the wing, the biggest perk was the, the events and it doesn't look like, doesn't look like those events got back up to the level post pandemic. Right. Right. Okay. So, I mean, what's your opinion? What are you thinking about this? Yeah. I mean, I have a number of opinions. First of all, I think it does say something that neither of us were members at the wing, given that Mm -hmm. we are pretty firmly their target demo, right? We're both Mm -hmm. at startups. We're both, um, I would say, diverse. You know, Mm -hmm. we are, we know people. We we attend events. We, we, you know, I think we're among who they were going after. Mm -hmm. And neither of us, it doesn't seem like ever was that compelled to become a member. I think another thing I saw, which was really interesting, and I sort of uh, paused and thought about, was that, you know, at its height, 
uh, the wing had 12 locations and something like 19,000 members mm. and not, not even that versus like Soho house, which mm-hmm. has 27 locations, but 120,000 members. So the wing had, you know, half as many locations, but a 10th of the number of members. Yeah. And I, I guess what I think is it always felt like it was an extremely hyped business and it seems like that's true. It seems right. like it was a l- more hype than substance. And yeah. I, you know, I don't like to say that about any company. I certainly don't like to say that about any woman-led startup because I know how hard it is to run a startup and how little grace we get um, when we mess up, mm-hmm. when we fall. So I don't say that to be like mean in any way. I just think it looks like it was a lot of glitz and glam and hype and not a lot of substance when it comes to the business model mm-hmm. and the financials and in getting the culture to right. match what the PR was saying about it being this inclusive, welcoming, you know, warm environment for all women. It seems like there was a real disconnect. And given that, you know, it's not super surprising to me that it's, that it's shut down. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll, I totally agree with all of that. I think what's, what's hard is they, like many venture backed companies needed to achieve a level of growth that was just directly in tension with how they initially marketed themselves. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. they needed to be an inclusive place to hit their numbers, but they started out with members who were extremely aspirational. Right. But like, I don't see myself, right? And I, I am an Ivy League educated millennial, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see myself in those circles. And that's never been a thing for me, right? Like, mm-hmm. it just feels intimidating, right? And and exclusionary when you start with this, like, super elite crew, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you price well, it that way, too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... How, how are you going to get to the numbers you need when, when you start that way? You know, and, and I mean, I guess you could say you, you need to super serve, you, know, you super serve a small segment, get them really excited, and then you change, change, change. But, you know, you, you kind of, you make your, how you're marketing yourself appeal to a larger group and a larger group and a larger group. But I don't think they ever shifted, right? Yeah. Like they super served that initial market and then whether they couldn't because of all the issues that came to light, right? They mm-hmm. just like then just had to do damage control and it was too late, right? They couldn't mm-hmm. do they couldn't start getting a bigger circle of people to appeal to. Yeah. But I think that's yeah. you know kind of happened. Well, uh this is one of those times where I wish my husband who you're friends with Kadar were here because mm-hmm. he would articulate this so much better than I'm about to. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> okay, like because his work is in the diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion space. Um, uh, and so he has said this to me before, and I just I really feel like I'm going to get it wrong. But essentially the idea of if you start with, if you start designing a program or a product or a space mm-hmm. for the marginalized, then it will, by nature of reaching the people who have the least access, 
Mm. By it will then be able to work for all people, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you think about because it only basically it only gets easier from there. It is what only you're saying, gets, it, exactly yeah. right. So, like, it's sort of the idea of like you know putting a ramp outside of a building for people for for accessibility, right? It doesn't make it any harder on mm-hmm. people who don't necessarily need a ramp, right? But there will be times when you too need a ramp. Right. So it mm-hmm. also is better for you. Like at some point you might have a baby with a stroller. At some right. point you might be wheeling up, you know, some furniture to this building, whatever it is. So suddenly something that was designed for someone marginalized makes it just more accessible for the entire population. Again, I'm not articulating this as well as I could. No, but I, think I think you articulated it really well. But but the, the question it raises for me then is are VC backed companies, the company companies that can do this because it is harder to design it for the marginalized marginalized group. It takes more time. It probably takes more resources. Do okay. VC-backed companies get the runway they need to to be able to achieve that mission in the time in that time? I think, you know, I don't I think there's an inherent tension there potentially. Yeah. I mean obviously you're doing it, right? But right, um, right, right. But you probably would say it's very difficult and it's probably something that you, I mean, you can speak to it yourself, but like you're, I I would imagine you're constantly dealing with this tension as part of like what you have as one of your leadership skills, you know, and one of your skills with your board to say like, Mm -hmm. look, this is going to work. Look, this is, this is the way to do it. It might seem harder. It might cost more, but like, I know yeah. I'm, I'm, I am the market and this yeah. will pay off. Right. Like I feel yeah. like you're probably constantly having to do that. And hundred percent. Like, and I've raised yeah. $9 million to Audrey's right. 167. So, right. you know, right. to that point, it is, I think a lot harder for VCs to wrap their mind around the idea that designing for the more marginalized in the end is mm-hmm. a better, is a better way to design. Um, and I think, you know, you bring up this tension of, uh, growth mm-hmm. and venture capitalists versus mm-hmm. sort of like, in my mind, financial profit and <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, having an operating and business model that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think there is and certainly was a huge tension behind that. And I think what we're seeing now is a bit of a market correction. I am hearing whenever I'm meeting with my board, whenever I'm meeting with my investors or just you know investors I know who, who aren't on my cap table, all I keep hearing is that what they care about now is profit, profit, profit. When I tell you, I went, you know, almost five years of investor pitches and meetings and no one ever talked to me about profit. And now mm. it is the thing everybody mm-hmm. is talking about. Um, and I think it's because of the WeWorks of the mm-hmm. world and, you know, just a number of other company brandlesses of the world and you know just a lot of businesses that focused on growth and achieved growth achieved mm-hmm. massive growth but did it in a way that wasn't profitable and mm-hmm. sort of the party line was you'll scale into profitability and i think a lot of people are now starting to question that um so yeah it is i think there is a tension i think the wing you know suffered as a result of that tension um, and I do think a bit of a course correction is happening on a broader level when it comes to VCs and startups. 
Yeah. To me, like, if, if I'm going to look at all these things we talked about, that last point is probably the most salient. Like, there's, in terms of leading to its failure and how abruptly um, this closure occurred, like, in law, there's this concept that you learn in your, like, first year torts class mm-hmm. of, like, but for cause versus proximate cause. So, like, but for cause is, like, if it weren't for the fact that I woke up today, we wouldn't be recording this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. But is that like the direct cause for us being here recording this podcast? Like probably right. not, right? Like yeah. the proximate cause, the direct cause is that you and I are friends. We love talking about this stuff together. We came to an agreement, right? Like I think a lot of the factors or you know the, the nuances to the wings story, there were many causes to its failure mm-hmm. but this this tension between you know vc emphasis on growth and the current economy like not allowing for that really anymore mm-hmm. particularly for more mature startups um mm-hmm. that to me is is the proximate cause and i think that's probably you know the biggest takeaway for anyone who's at a startup right now is you probably have to adjust the way you've been thinking. If you thought you had five years to get to profitability, like, I don't think that's happening anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think this idea of growth at any cost is also, yeah, taking a back seat. Now, look, when it comes to VC money and when it comes to the economy in general, it's a pendulum. It swings back yeah. and forth. Yeah. So yeah. the market is down. Everyone's scared. Everyone's like, oh, God, profit. Maybe mm-hmm. when the market's back up, everyone's everyone's going to be back to singing the growth song. So that's a good point. It, yeah. I don't know if anything really lasts forever. But I know for me and my business, I can say very happily that we have shifted our focus almost entirely to profitability. Um, and we are we are currently profitable, you know, and then I haven't been able to say that in a long time. So I think it's, it's, it's healthy, this place that we're in. And I actually hope the pendulum doesn't swing too far back in the other direction. Um, But at the same time, I also hope that women and women founders and women of color are able to have some of the same failures of the Adam Newman's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because running a company is really, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really hard. And when yeah. you fail, you learn. And, you know, we should have opportunities to fail and learn the same as anybody else. So that's mm-hmm. that's sort of where I land, which actually brings us to our verdict. So we gave you guys the facts. We've speculated. What's our verdict? What's your verdict, Danny? Like, what what are your final thoughts? Is this a good thing, a bad thing, a surprising thing? Like, what are your final thoughts on this? My final thoughts are, look, I'm sad to see um, something that was ostensibly designed for the empowerment of women close. Like, you know, I, I'm i not feeling in 2022 necessarily that, like, oh, women are no longer vulnerable, right? Like, I don't think I, – I don't buy the Trump era um, – that was a moment in time, like it, in the in a post Dobbs era, I think women still have a lot to like gather and fight for. So I'm sad that didn't work. Um, but I'm not shocked uh, because I don't necessarily think that a super elite woman um, was going to be the best person to make an inclusive environment. So I I think that um, I'm hopeful that another business um, that can empower women, that there's still opportunity 
for something like this in the future. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with that. And, and like you mentioned earlier, we've spoken about what would a reimagined mm-hmm. space for women and, and mm-hmm. for moms, we're both moms. Mm-hmm. Um, what would it look like? And I don't know the answer to that, but I have a feeling there are a lot of women out there thinking about that exact same thing. And I hope that the wings closure doesn't make it harder for them to right. put something forth that could be really, really great for a lot of right. women. So I think that's, that's sort of where I'm ending as well. All right. Well, before we wrap, um, we do have one more segment for you guys. This is something that Danny came up with, with her legal brain called Judge and Jury, um, where we're going to dive into a completely separate recent event um, and just give our take on whether we think it was good or bad judgment. We're going to play Judge and Jury. So, Danny, do you want to tell them about this week's Judge and Jury? Yeah. So, this week's segment is all the drama. I don't know if you've heard about it, all the drama around Finnish Prime Minister Marin's uh, latest partying incident. Basically, earlier in August, um, the Finnish Prime Minister was with friends over the weekend had some fun dancing with friends, a video leaks, and there's uproar about her fitness. There's uproar about potential drug use. I think if you zoomed in on one of the videos, it looked like maybe there was a line of Coke in the background, right? And so immediately, and and for those who don't know, the prime minister, at least when she was elected, I think was 36, right? So this is a young woman, mm-hmm. um, and the entire Finnish government's actually young women, and there was immediate calls to say, like, get her out of there, at a minimum drug test her. Um, and so, yeah, judge, judge and jury, what do we think about, about all this drama? Oh, man. Oh, I feel like I have complicated feelings, but it's our yeah. last segment and it's supposed to be a quick yeah. hit. Um, I feel kind of two things. The first is, obviously, it is insanity that a woman cannot just be in her home with her friends dancing and having a good time without it creating some national uproar. Mm -hmm. And it is in fact a national uproar, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That's insane, right? Like we should be able to let our hair down and let loose, but of of course, because it's a woman, it raises all of this, you know, speculation that she's unfit for the role. And that is insane. That said, having gone and watched the video, I will say it is not what I would expect Mm -hmm. to see from my leader. Mm -hmm. I was expecting more, like when when I heard about it, was expecting more like, you know how Obama would go on Ellen and dance and do his little two-step? I'm thinking like maybe they're in the video just, you know, getting a little two-step. It wasn't that. It was, you know, it was... I mean, not raunchy. They had their clothes. She was on, basically but... doing. She was doing making like kissy faces to the yes. camera. Like, yes. I would say it... more aggressive circular motions with the upper body. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and like arms were up, which you know mm-hmm. at times can be a little bit more sensual. So yeah, it mm-hmm. was not. It was not a. Uh, you know, tight to the body, two step, as you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so when I saw it, I will say. I did have a little bit of like, oh, well, you know, it just, it, it wasn't, um, 
what's the word? There was a bit of dissonance in my mind mm-hmm. around like, mm-hmm. this is the leader of a country. Mm-hmm. And this, <laughs> also, this mm-hmm. is a person twerking in a video. I don't know if she actually twerks, but you know, like no, those <laughs> two things are a bit, yeah. are a bit dissonant. However, I actually think what that means is we should all, myself included, just do a better job of putting in our mind what a leader can and should look like. Because I'm sure mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who don't think a CEO and a, and a Yale lecturer should look like me, mm-hmm. but here I am. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I kind of had to check myself a bit because I did sort of feel like, oh, you know, but what, what about you? What's your judgment? I here? think that's exactly right. I think we need to not expect our leaders to be superhumans, right? Because it, it will inevitably let us down. Um, but I also think that the prime minister potentially exercised some bad judgment in who she was dancing around with and making stupid kissy faces to a camera. Like, I mean, whoever released this video needs to be excommunicated, right? If you're her, like out of the country, we're not assuming it wasn't like someone hacked this person's phone like that. You need to be doing like security checks on the people you're going to dance around with like that. Make sure that they're not compromisable, right? Yes. Like make sure they're not people who like need a, need a few extra bucks and would be willing to put this video out. I mean, or whatever it is. I don't know the circumstances mm-hmm. exactly of how it got out, but that to me was the biggest failure of the prime minister's judgment is like you yeah. partied with the wrong people. Yeah. Partied um, with the wrong people. It reminds me of when everyone's coming out with videos of my girl, Malia Obama, because Malia mm-hmm. was at Harvard just trying to have mm-hmm. fun, you know, mm-hmm. 18 years old, 19, whatever, partying as one does in college. And, you know, her friends sold her out. And I immediately was like, we got to get, we got to get the, the bat call up. We got to get <laughs> the right folks right. over right. to Malia. I, I, I got to call Abwa, which for those who don't know, that's the Associ- Association of Black Harvard Women. So we got to call Abwa. We got to get a meeting together right. because she doesn't, she doesn't have the right friends. Okay, because right. there are plenty of people who would never sell out their friends. And then there are plenty of people who would. So I agree right. with you. She, her judgment on the friendship level right. needs some work. But everyone else calling for her resignation, get out of here. Like, get, get out, out of here. Yeah. Right? Male yeah. politicians, male leaders have done far worse. She didn't lie about it, right? She didn't, like, testify under oath that I wasn't partying this weekend. I mean, you know, yeah. not that there was the opportunity to do it. But, <laughs> like, she took a drug test. It was negative. So all these other people, get out of there. She's a good leader otherwise. Yeah, completely agree. Oh, well, we did it. Look at that. Episode one in the books. Um, I'm feeling good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's, that's it for this week, guys. And look, if you're loving the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five star review so that we can keep bringing you more.